0: It's Brian. Thank you so much for tuning into the Go Be More podcast. As we say in Japan, Hisashi Buri desu ne. That's Japanese for it's been a long time. And it really feels like it has. So I want to give a few updates before we run this amazing conversation with Olympic bronze medalist Katie Zafiris. So, as many of you know, back in March, we kicked off a new show in a partnership with UCAN called Fueling the Pursuit. And that show looks at the mindset of, of elite performance. We talk with CrossFit athletes triathletes, marathon runners, and, and other elite athletes in order to understand how it is that they prioritize and focus to get the most out of themselves and achieve their goals. And we just wrapped up season one, which consisted of 16 amazing conversations that I feel so fortunate to be able to be a part of. Today's episode is a Feeling the Pursuit conversation with triathlete Katie Zafiris, who just won the bronze medal at the Olympic Games in the individual women's triathlon and is likely competing in the mixed relays around the same time that this episode will run. So hopefully she'll get a second medal there. In season one of Fueling the Pursuit, we also spoke with Maggie Stephens, an Olympic water polo player, Joe Klecker, an Olympic 10,000 meter runner. We spoke with Sonia Richards-Ross, who won gold medal in the 400 meters and was a multi-time Olympian, And we spoke with many other former Olympians or elite athletes in their respective fields. And it's just been an amazing show. And I really encourage you to subscribe to it if you're at all interested in the way that elite performers think about organizing their lives, prioritizing, competing. Uh, we dive into whatever whatever topics make the most sense for their particular situation, and every episode has really been uniquely different uh, in, in a way that has been just uh, joyful for me to experience. Now, today's conversation in particular is with Katie Zafiris, who, as I said, just took the bronze medal a few days ago in Tokyo, and we spoke with her a few weeks before going to Tokyo about her expectations for Tokyo and what she is doing leading up to it. Katie finished 18th at the Olympic Games in Rio and was really disappointed and more than that had a very frustrating experience and she felt like she did not have the right mindset to not only excel but to enjoy the experience and when she came out of Rio she evaluated a lot of things in her life and she really adopted a new approach to racing and a new approach to prioritizing her relationship with the sport. And that saw her move up the the ranks to become the number one triathlete in the world and become a favorite for Tokyo. Then in the qualification for Tokyo, she crashed, had a major bike crash, did not qualify in the meet, had to go to the hospital. Shortly after that, COVID hit and everything went crazy with training. And then her father passed away shortly before the Olympic Games this year as she was trying to qualify Tons of hurdles, tons of obstacles, an incredible challenge for her. In the end, she was selected by the Olympic Committee to represent the U.S., and she won a bronze medal at the Games just recently. A truly amazing story. And the thing that stood out to me about this conversation was the perspective that she had gained and and the way that her mindset had changed over time. And that it was embodied by this idea of what she called an explorative mindset, which is something that I've just become totally fascinated by since our conversation. And I actually have a new article that I've written that is not quite out yet. It's going to come out on Podium Runner, which is a website for running fans and competitive athletes who want to train better and get more out of their training. And so I'll link to that when that article comes out, but you can also look for it at Podium Runner or on my social media if you choose to follow me. So this episode is great. I hope you enjoy it. As for the fact that we have two podcasts, Fueling the Pursuit and Go Be More podcast, what's happened over time is that this uh, Fueling the Pursuit has taken up a lot of time and we have two shows. John and I both have been wanting to experiment with changing the Go Be More podcast a little bit to make it a little bit different, to try some new things, to to explore some creative ideas we have. And we felt like we needed to take a little pause on the go be more podcast that's why we haven't had as many episodes as we used to do every week we will be coming out with more in the future we're not 100 percent sure when we're trying to figure out what's going to allow us to be consistent and do high quality work which is our number one priority I think you'll see some more conversation episodes. I think you'll maybe see some sort of solo interviews where either I am the only interviewer speaking with someone or maybe John is. A lot of that comes down to scheduling conflicts and difficulties in terms of trying to organize our lives around all the other obligations we have. But I just want you to know that for those of you who've subscribed to this podcast feed and who have been following us on our Joby Moore podcast journey, We really appreciate your support and patience as we try to figure out what the next step is for this. And we really hope that when we come back, we come back with really content that that helps you to go be more in everything that you're doing. One more update for me is on my book, Make the Leap, which launched this year. It's been getting great reviews from coaches, from athletes, from some parents who are reading the book. The main update for me is I now have team packages available since the last time I think we spoke. Those team packages enable coaches to get the book for all of their athletes, get the workbooks for their athletes, and have a coach's guide to help facilitate conversations and discussions around the ideas. The books can be purchased at a discount. And I think it's the the way I envision the book being used is in a team setting, multiple people discussing the ideas and in trying to incorporate the ideas together to support each other in order to think better about training. So if you know a coach or somebody who's interested in getting more out of themselves and you, you think they should take a look at the book, please have them go to my website, maketheleapbook.com, and check out the book and the workbooks and see if it's the right thing for them. So now before we get to the conversation with bronze medalist Katie Zafiris, I want to remind any new listeners who are finding this episode about who we are at Kobe Moore. At Kobe Moore, our mission is simple. We want you to chase your dreams. So how does a clothing company help people chase their dreams? Well, I'm glad you asked. The clothes we wear are like every other part of our physical environment. They not only represent us, they reinforce who we are and who we're committed to being. When you wear a Go Be More shirt, you're wearing your personal commitment to Go Be More, to chase those dreams. And what better way to show someone you support them than to give them a physical symbol of your belief in them? We want the words Go Be More to remind you of your dreams every time you see them. As for this podcast, this is our chance to explore what it means to Go Be More with the people who inspire us, and to share those stories and strategies with you. As always, if you have any feedback, you can email me at brian at co or hit me up on social media. Alright, here is our episode of Fueling the Pursuit, presented by UCAN, with the amazing Olympic bronze medalist, katie zafiris
1: i call it an explorative mindset for racing of like mm. let's see what i can do rather than this is what i need to do because let's see what i can do has no limit
2: hey what's up everybody it's john here thanks for tuning in to another episode of fueling the pursuit presented by you The voice you just heard was that of Katie Zafaris, a two-time Olympic Games qualifier and 2019 ITU World Triathlon Series champion. For Katie, the road to Tokyo has been anything but smooth. During our free-flowing conversation with Katie, we not only get to explore her mindset as a world-class triathlete, but we also talk about what's been going on in her life since the onset of the pandemic, including the unexpected passing of her father earlier this year. According to Katie, it was the combination of the try it and see what happens attitude instilled in her from both of her parents and her father's sneaky plan to get her into triathlons that has contributed to her becoming one of the world's best today. As we talked about her current preparations for Tokyo, we got insight into how she's taken and applied the lessons she's learned from the past five years or so since her disappointing finish at the 2016 Rio Olympics to better prepare her for these upcoming Tokyo Olympic Games. We're really excited to share our conversation with Katie with the Summer Olympics just a few weeks away. Before we get into this episode, I do want to take a moment to introduce UCAN and this podcast to our newest listeners. UCAN is a go-to nutrition product of choice for so many elite athletes, but even UCAN knows that true success is about so much more than just how you fuel your body. It's also about how you fuel your passion, your motivation, and your mindset. And that's why this podcast is gonna take you inside the minds of Olympians, elite athletes, coaches, and trainers to better understand what drives them to constantly push to achieve new personal bests. We're so excited to have you guys on this journey with us, and we do hope that we can give you a little more fuel as you work towards optimizing your own performances, both in sport and in life. Now, on to the episode with Katie. All right, today's guest is
0: Katie Zafiris, a two-time Olympic Games qualifier and 2019 ITU World Triathlon Series champion. We're excited to talk with Katie about her steady progression up to the top of her sport, the lessons she learned from the 2016 Rio Olympics, and how they've changed how she approached the sport, and of course, where her mindset is at as she prepares for the Tokyo Games in a couple weeks. Katie, thank you for being here. It's so great to have you on the podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited.
2: Yeah, Katie, just everybody has a little bit of context here. So we're all three in different places of the world right now. I'm in California and it's one time zone. Brian's in Sendai, Japan and another. And then, of course, you're in Spain. So thank you so much for making some time because we know it's a little bit late where you're at and you're obviously we're going to dive into this, getting ready for uh, the upcoming Olympics. So give us a little bit of a perspective in terms of where you're at right now and, and how things are going.
1: Yes. So we just came down to Spain and even though it is late here for me as an American, it's like dinner time for the Spanish. So we're early for for them. Um, We just came from yesterday. We drove down to France, which is at high altitude. So it's 1800 meters and sorry for the meters. I just, now we do everything in metrics. So I think it's like basically the same as Boulder, (laughs) a little bit higher. Mm -hmm. Yep. And so we were training there for about three weeks and got into a really nice rhythm on Beniole, Spain, where it's pretty warm. So it's supposed to be about 30 degrees Celsius, which is about 90 degrees Fahrenheit for the next few weeks. And we'll be doing our heat adaptation training because Tokyo is supposed to be quite warm and humid. So that's the reasoning behind being here now for the next, well, until we leave for Tokyo and I leave on the 18th of July.
2: Wow. That's so exciting. I'm so happy for you and excited for you. I can't wait to see how you do out there.
0: Is there a reason you chose to be in Spain as opposed to training in the US?
1: So I train with an international training squad and my coach is Joel Filial and he's Canadian, based in Glasgow, Scotland, works for Team Australia, so um, very (laughs) tied to very many different places, but most of my teammates are either from Australia or Europe, and we base ourselves in Spain, A, because it's a really nice place to train, this area we've been to, we're familiar with, and particularly before Tokyo and such a big race, we want to be somewhere where we we already know the training, we know where we're going to do all of the specific sessions, but also normally we're Here, because most of our races are in Europe. So we actually, unfortunately, don't have very many world triathlon series events in the US. So there's not usually a reason to base ourselves there. However, after Tokyo, we have two races, one in Montreal, Canada, and one in Edmonton, Canada. So we'll go home to North Carolina after Tokyo so that we're on the same time zone as Montreal.
0: And just out of curiosity, do you consider yourself to be a resident of Spain now? Like you're there most of the time throughout the year? Or are you only there for a specific, like the triathlon season?
1: So up until uh, this year, we were counting our days every time we were in Europe, which means we have three months, 90 days, and 180 days that we're allowed to be in Europe. However, this year, we actually went through the process and got a visa so we can be here for a year within Europe, which is really helpful because we've already overstayed the the 90 days. So as we get further into our career, we figure out these things. And as you get closer to the end of the career, you're like, I wish I figured this out earlier.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I can imagine. I had an opportunity to live in Europe for a while and I loved the proximity to everything and the ability to spend a weekend drive two hours away and you're in a medieval city and and see all these different things. And, and that kind of stuff was amazing. The one trade-off would be that if you've got a routine, say you're American and you're used to certain American foods and American diet and all this stuff, and you're in Europe, I, I suppose you have to sort of learn all of the lifestyle things that you need to feel comfortable and get the most out of yourself.
1: Yes, for sure. There's definitely places where I feel a lot more comfortable than others. I mean, Just in how we have all the technologies now, like food delivery is like a cheating way for for some things. However, in Spain, like... When you go into the grocery store, a lot of things are recognizable and I feel really comfortable in Europe in grocery stores. Whereas when we go to Japan, um, I remember the first time there, I was like, okay, I really had to take time to figure out what foods I wanted to eat, where to find them. So here, I feel like it's actually, maybe it's because we've been here multiple times now, but we know the grocery stores we go to, like <laughs> we're, yeah. we're familiar with, we come back to certain grocery stores and it's the same employees and we're like, oh yeah, like they're still here. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) like it. So yeah, I think it's definitely something though that is taken into consideration as we go to different places. And if I'm going somewhere I've never been, I research it beforehand to know like where a close grocery store is or where I could potentially get food or how to translate things. But again, technology lets you cheat so much with translating things and being able to look up stuff before you go.
2: I felt... So lucky to have friends that were actually from a lot of the places yeah. and I was spoiled. I got the base in Sweden and Stockholm and Brian and I were teammates at UCLA. So we had some teammates from Sweden and particularly a good friend of ours, teammate Eric Emilson, and he became like a brother to me. And so I got to connect with his family out there and all of his Swedish teammates and I think I almost became a a Swedish citizen. I was spending so much time there and I loved it so much. But the thing that saved me was having people that I knew and they were able to guide me through not only staying in Sweden and the Scandinavian countries, but all over Europe, wherever I went, I had people that kind of knew the ropes. And so without that, I think I would have been making a lot of food mistakes. And that was, that's honestly, I think that's very detrimental. You need to know what to eat and what not to eat when you're spending more than a couple of weeks anywhere. And I would spend the entire summer, three to four months out there just racing as much as I can. So that's a big part of it, I think for sure.
1: Yeah, I for sure agree with the fact that having friends in different places and who are connected to the areas. I mean, because we have an international squad, it's really nice because we have like Mm. our Spanish friends, our our teammates who can help us (laughs) in Spain and Catalan. And not just, I mean, the grocery store, but also like setting up logistics. What's the best way to mail things or what store can I find this in? I mean, it's little things that you're like, I'm sure we can Google and find it out, but at the same time, it's not always the best answer or the best solution when you have a friend and especially with how COVID is too. Like that adds a whole nother element of (laughs) figuring out (laughs) the different logistics.
2: Yeah. Just out of curiosity, really quick, Brian, before you ask your next question, what's it been like over in Europe? What's your experience in terms of COVID and how it's being dealt with in public and interacting with others?
1: It's been very varying, depending on like where we've been. So when we first got to Spain, there was a curfew. So you couldn't be out past a certain time. And you always had to wear a mask outside unless you were exercising. So if we were on the bike or running, we didn't have to be wearing one. At some points, the restaurants were closed down, but now they're pretty much open. And now Spain, just recently, you don't have to wear a mask outside. So that was like within the last couple of days, I think that that changed
0: were you able to access swimming pools?
1: Yeah. So where we were in Girona, the last time we were in Spain, the access to the pool was signups and you could only have three people per lane in a 50 meter pool. And then mm-hmm. it was one hour time slots. And then when we were in font Rameau we had in France, we had bookings. So it was just our squad at the place and you wear your mask until you get in the pool, and Right. just have have that kind of so yeah it's been interesting to see the different restrictions and different protocols
0: can I ask yeah, you a question bet. about your training group Katie because you've mentioned a couple times the group how large is your group that you train with and are you competing are you training with people who you're going to be competing against in Tokyo so I always feel bad
1: listing like the name so I'm not going to do just in case I miss someone I don't want to <laughs> miss it. But we have some Australians, <laughs> Belgians, Spanish, French, and then we have about, I would say 15 of us total, but a lot of it is our men's team is bigger than our women's side. So there's only about five of us women, which are Australians, French, me, and then there's also a Chilean athlete and a Spanish who train with us. And so, yeah, it's very international, but Joel has done um, something I really respect is that he looks not only at the performances of the athletes who are on our squad, but also how we interact with one another and what their personality is. So we have a really good squad. And I think that we're not like competing against each other in training, even though we're competing against each other in our races. Like when we're, when we're training, we're just training to specific whatever the workout entails, but it's not to try and beat each other into the ground type thing. So it's usually like more controlled. And my husband, Tommy, he's a huge part of my training as well. He usually trains with us and helps the girls, but he's like our pacer.
0: Yep. So so like on the
1: track. Yeah. On the track he'll be like hitting the pace times. And then every now and again someone gets like a little speedier than they're supposed to. (laughs) And like it's funny because he'll be he'll be like behind. And not know oh, what no. do to like go with the person going faster than the prescribed time or stick with the person going <laughs> the correct time. But it's really like a great atmosphere on our team that has been really helpful. And when it comes to racing, like, sure, we race against each other and we're both all going towards that finish line to be the first one to cross it. But it's also been really cool because our team, I think in 2019, almost everyone had been on the podium or for the World Triathlon Series. And in 2018, Joel had four out of six of the overall podium spots with our squad. All three men were on the podium for the overall and then I was on it for the women. So it's just a really cool squad to be a part of.
2: That's fantastic. It seems like Even though the triathlon, I mean, you're out there, you're on your own to a great extent. It seems like there's a lot of camaraderie amongst the competitors. And I I could be wrong. I mean, I I was in track and field, not a a triathlete, but, uh, you know, the research I've done, some of the people that we've talked to in the sport at the highest level, it just seems like there's like this sense of camaraderie, even amongst your rivals or competitors. Is that true? Am I mistaken in that? Because it seems like it's pretty special in a sport where it's very individualistic.
1: I think there is camaraderie. And I think it also is one of the things that probably changed because for me, I think it was my perspective that changed, not necessarily the sport, but when I showed up on the start line for Rio or before Rio, I was so intimidated by the other athletes. And I think I lost sight of them as people and was just like... (laughs) looking after like the accomplishments. And then as the years have progressed, and probably I've gotten older in the sport and just gotten to know a lot of the athletes that now most of the girls, it's a lot of familiar faces, as I'm sure you can imagine the same as with track. And yes, um, you just start to know people. And it's one where you're competing all for the like, same thing. But at the finish line, you can be proud and happy for whoever gets across the line first. And I think it helps me perform better because it's less stressful on the start line. I remember I wrote up a pre-race thing where I was like, just see everybody as your training partner in the race, yes. because you can look at it that way.
2: <laughs> There's two things I'll say in that really quickly. Number one, Brian might remember this. It was probably somebody we've spoken to before. It was a, a top female athlete. Man, I forget who it was that said it, but... I remember them saying that honestly, the best part about your competitors is that they push you to be great and, and you should be grateful for your biggest competitors. I loved that because I feel like you're all in the same boat. You're all trying to be great and, and find out how good you can be. And when you switch how you're looking at them, which is Probably one of those mindset things that we can, because you just touched on it, say for yourself is that when you started looking at them like people and peers and people that you're in cahoots with, you're trying to be great at what you're doing, all of a sudden it makes them less of a hindrance. In fact, it makes them almost something that helps propel you forward um, and helps you to excel. And so I feel like that's a big thing to change your perspective on maybe who's also trying to do what you're doing and see them more as something that can help you move forward and excel. And even with somebody as myself, I did not make the Olympic team, but I was super close. It's a lot of people this past couple of weeks was hit me up. Hey, John, are you upset or bitter? Or is it bittersweet watching the Olympic trials right now? And I said many years ago it was, but I find myself watching the sport now and feeling very lucky and looking at some of the guys and girls that are still competing from my class, I guess, of being in the in the professional ranks and and I'm cheering for them. I'm happy for them. I'm so grateful to have had the experience and I'm rooting for them. I genuinely want them to have the best experience and outcome possible. So I don't know. I feel like I enjoy the sport more when I look at it that way. And I think that in the long run, it's just a healthier perspective to have. And the sooner you can have it, I do think it helps you to compete better.
1: Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with all of that. I think it just makes it a lot more wholesome. Like like you can look at what being a professional athlete and you can think of it as a really selfish type of sport because it's all about yourself. But then when you open it up to a wider perspective, you can see that it can be much more than that and it can include a lot more people. And I mean, we haven't gotten to this part of, the podcast yet, but my dad passed away in April and it was really unexpected. And one of the biggest things was like the the light, I guess, in all of this was the community from my triathlon peers and competitors and that community. And it was amazing. I've had not great races at the beginning of this year. And the people who were there to collect me at the finish line and really pick me up in a time where I needed it and from unexpected people from everyone on the start line the officials mm. the coaches mm. it's an incredible community and when you can realize how wonderful that the people are it's racing and you're trying to get the most out of yourself but it's also connection and support and the people who will be there for you when you need them
0: Katie That's I, I beautiful. Think, I'm so glad to hear that because it's been many years now but my father passed away a long time ago and it was a lot of my teammates and and people came out of the woodwork to support me in a way that I didn't expect. And I kind of needed it at the time. And it brings back those memories for me hearing you talk about it a little bit. Can you tell us a little bit about your dad's sort of role in your career and how he influenced you even getting into the sport in the first place?
1: Yeah. Well, to start, both of my parents, when I was younger, got me involved in The different sports I did gymnastics, softball, basketball, swimming, lacrosse, soccer, running eventually. And my mom and my dad were running us around everywhere. And so my dad was like, You have to, like, we can't do all of these sports, you have to pick only a couple and like narrow it down a little bit. And at that point, we were playing basketball and we decided, Okay, we're gonna do soccer, lacrosse, and swimming. And my dad's like, no, because like basketball was his sport.
2: <laughs>
1: um, but but like, he didn't really care, but it was just funny because he was like the coach of that one. But then like for triathlon, it was actually my dad I did my first triathlon with and it was on Father's Day right after I graduated school. And so at the time, I just thought he wants me to do something with, well, he wants one of his daughters. I'm one of three daughters. He's, he's outnumbered. <laughs> And, and I thought I was just like the chosen one. So I was like, okay, I'll do this with you only to find out years later that he might have had a little sneaky insight that maybe I would be good at triathlon. Cause at that time I was running track and swimming and he was thinking, oh, well, this, this could go somewhere. I don't know where he thought it would go at the time, but, (laughs) but because I said, okay, I'll do it with you. He had to learn how to swim. Because we'd gone to the ocean, but he didn't really know how to swim. So I was giving him swim lessons before this local race. Um, wow. And it, it's, mm-hmm. it's something I'm really proud of him. And just one of the things about my dad, where if he wants to do something for other people, he'll put himself in uncomfortable growth type situations. So it's pretty cool to watch your dad learn a new skill. And, mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. Not really either like it was. <laughs> <laughs> Um, And so he was there for that, which Father's Day was just a couple weeks ago, a nicer memory of not just thinking about losing my dad, but thinking, oh, this is also the anniversary of my first triathlon with him, Mm. which makes it pretty special to just think through those memories of that being the first time. And then him and my mom both supported me with triathlon as it became more and more a part of my life. And ultimately, we were given the opportunity to go out and train at the Uh, olympic training center in colorado springs for a residency program yeah and it was like wow this was still when i had no idea really what triathlon was i was an age grouper who just graduated from syracuse university as a division one runner who had a background in swimming but would by no means call myself a triathlete at that time and they're like hey do you want to come out and learn the sport basically for an olympic pipeline so we're from Maryland. And my dad and I drove out from Maryland to Colorado, which is like 24 hour drive. And about an hour out, I was like, Dad, I don't know if I want to do this. I'm going to go to university, I'm going to study physical education, I'm going to be a teacher, I'm going to get married, I'm going to do this. Like That was the projection <laughs> of my life. <laughs> and, and he's like, Katie, just stay out there a week. And if you don't like it, I'll fly back out and then we'll drive back. And I think that's like, my parents never pushed anything on me, but they were always there to guide me and be there for me when I fell and pick me back up again. But they made like scary, big things that could be really good seem way less scary when they're just like, just try it. See what happens.
2: Yeah. If you like mm-hmm. it,
1: if you fail, like that's okay. <laughs> like, and I think that perspective made... Doing big, scary things like going to the Olympic Training Center to learn a sport that you didn't know seems so much more manageable and like, oh, this is fun. This is an opportunity. This isn't all or nothing. And we can see where it goes. And that's been my whole career. My parents just, both of them, see me as a person. And they're sad when I'm sad. <laughs> they're happy when I'm
2: happy. <laughs> yep. yeah I was going to say, Katie, I love that attitude of let's just try it and see what happens. I feel like a a lot of us miss out on just finding out what's possible because we're thinking to ourselves, well, it might not work out or it won't be what I'm expecting it or wanting it to be. So I'm not even going to give it a shot. And I feel like there's so many areas in our lives that we miss out on all kinds of stuff, whether it's if you're a guy and you want to ask a girl out, but you're super shy. If you don't ask, if you don't even do it, she doesn't even have a chance to say yes. right? I think it's all those things. Anything that kind of along those lines, just try and see what happens. I absolutely love it. And I hope more people can grab that from at least this conversation for sure. It's one of the key takeaways is you need to try stuff that I would never have made. And I talked to my stepson about this all the time I and mean, he's a really good high school runner. And I said, you know, I became an Olympic alternate, but I said 12 years before that and leading up to that, a lot of people told me it was impossible. And they said, don't even bother. Cause I came out from a basketball background and I never run before, before I started doing it at 14. And I said, 12 years later, I made an Olympic team. So I'm like, I'm really glad I didn't listen to them. And I would always tell everybody the same thing. I said, if I don't try, I'll never know.
1: Yeah. When I went into 2016 Olympics, I was so focused on like, this is what I need to do. This is what I have to do. I want to get a podium and I knew to focus on the process. But at the same time, it took falling short of my goals in Rio and also being disappointed with how I managed the whole experience to know that to go into things more with an open mind and I call it an explorative mindset for racing of like, Mm. let's see what I can do rather than this is what I need to do because let's see what I can do has no limit. Whereas this is what I have to do is super definite and you can fall short of that. But if I'm just trying to see, can I push this bike as hard as possible and still run off like the first 1k fast and then end up like, that was the year that I won the most races was when I was like, well, let's see what I can do. Not, I have to do this.
0: Yes. Yes. I love that I love name, and I'm probably going to steal it, Katie. I'm just telling you right now, the explorative <laughs> mindset. Yeah, I'll give you credit, of course. But I think uh, the, um, the 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 thing that you highlighted there to me, there's a couple things, and one is that um, often we don't know what we're going to love until we try doing it. It, it. We're not really good at predicting about ourselves sometimes, about what we're going to love. Sometimes it's very clear and sometimes you do something and that's when you realize, wow, this really resonates with me. And I think a lot of people forget that. They tend to think that they can predict how the experience is going to go before it happens. And that's not always the case. And I think what you said about the explorative mindset fits that exact same thing because you don't know sometimes that you have a a skill in a race until you try it once, right? (laughs) If you're afraid to try a different strategy or try a different technique or just explore your abilities you might be just missing out on something that you can really leverage I, I had this experience in college where i was a very conservative racer and too conservative i was always holding myself back and then you know there, there's a thing in racing if you hold yourself back too long you don't have enough time to actually make up for it no matter how good you feel at the end right you you always underperform because you never got in the race in the first place and I had to build little strategies in, which I'm gonna to get to this point and allow myself to be a little bit conservative. But at this point, no matter how I feel, I'm gonna go. Right. And and it was always earlier than I wanted to, right? <laughs> that I was really comfortable doing. But those types of things I had to explore doing them and I did them with guidance from my coaches and stuff. But it wasn't until I did them that I realized, oh, I can do this. Like actually it's not I, I have this ability, even if my natural inclination is to think, oh, I shouldn't do it.
1: Yeah, I definitely agree that you have to. Because you can see all the races as tests. And when you Mm -hmm. look at it that way, it limits what you can do in a race because you're saying this is where I need to do everything that I practice. Whereas the race is really another opportunity to try something. And like you're saying, like not all the time, like going crazy, but (laughs) to race in the way that you want to do. And I feel like it gives you a little bit of freedom. And I think also it makes it more fun
0: hundred percent. Yeah. So, so there's a term you used before, which was, you know, focusing on the process. And can you take us back to Rio? Because that seemed to be a pretty important event for you in part because you underperformed, you didn't achieve your goal, but it seemed like you came away from there a different person almost in terms of how you plan to approach the sport. So can you tell us a little bit about the Rio experience, what went well and didn't go well, and then what you learned from that specifically?
1: So I think, Well, Rio for me, was a really impactful race in the way that I was very disappointed, but I learned the most from it and probably changed the most for the better. And I would say one of the biggest things before Rio, I was learning triathlon. I'm new at this. I mean, I'd started in my first year as a professional was 2013 and Rio was in 2016. So it was pretty fast. And I was just, I was doing it and I was learning and I was following my coach but I wasn't really taking ownership in anything. If someone had like someone for support, then it would be like, oh, here's a sports psychologist that we know. And I'm like, okay, great. Or, I'm going to use that one. and the nutritionist and the, the network around me. And I think for me, one part of Rio was, Finishing and realizing, okay, I do want a support network around me, including Joel, who was my coach then and still is my coach now and my team. But also I really wanted a sports psychologist because before Rio, I was reactive with sports psychology, meaning I'd freak out and then I'd want to talk to someone. It was never proactive. It was just reactive to something triggering. And now I wanted help. And so after Rio, it was like, how do I put this in my routine and regularly talk to someone? And I wrote out an email to the U.S. Olympic Committee. I said, here are my weaknesses. Here are my strengths. This is what I'm looking for. Who do you think would be a good fit for me? And they connected me with Karen Kogan. And I've been talking to her since. And I always have her on my schedule. How much I talk to her really depends on what part of the year it is. But it could be anywhere from once a month to twice a month. That's usually about where we're at. And I feel like that was a huge part of it.
2: That's a really hard thing for anybody to talk about or to acknowledge and and to even more so proactively incorporate into the training. And I'm referencing mental health and I, I think of it as mental training and we don't do enough of it. And so instead of being reactive, being proactive, and again, all the stuff that we talk about, we're talking about it within the context of sports, but it it applies to any aspect of life. You need to do certain things to just be more well-rounded and more, I think, uh, effective person with with whatever you're trying to uh, accomplish in your life, in any area of your life. And mental health is, honestly, this podcast is about mindset for a reason. It literally is probably the biggest impactful thing because it's everything you're thinking is determining everything that you're going to do and how you feel. And so that's really great that you saw that and that you've stuck with it. That's amazing. I, I, I thank you for bringing it up. I just think it's really important to acknowledge that.
1: Oh, I mean, it was such a switch for me because when I was in college, I was like, oh, if you need to talk to a sports psychologist, like you're mentally weak. That mm-hmm. was my thought process. And now, if you ask me, I'm like, everybody should talk to someone because yes. it's been <laughs> so valuable. And as you said, like, it's, I talked to a sports psychologist and she's valuable for my athletic career, but she's teaching me tools and strategies that I can use in life. And yeah. It's been hugely beneficial. Like, I mean, the things triathlon has led me to not just for the sport life, but in regular life and skills and mental skills, emotional skills, like all of that. Because for me, mental skills for triathlon is I had to learn the bike. And so... That was the discipline I was least comfortable with. And it would scare me because mm-hmm. going fast and on a technical course and downhills and I've crashed and the more scared you get on the bike, the more rigid you get and the more unsafe you are and the more scary you actually are on the bike because you're tightening up, which means you're not flowing and your attention is getting different. And so like talking to Karen was great because learning the strategies in those moments of heightened stress or anxiety and there's just so many tools you can use. And I think this might be my soapbox, but I think for some people, they might try to talk to a psychologist or something and they'll be like, Oh, it didn't work. It doesn't work like that. <laughs>
2: like <Yeah. laughs>
1: you, have to, you, have to, you have to do as much with your mental skills and strategies and put in the effort of training them and using them in your daily life and failing and trying again, just as much as we do for our physical components of things. And And it's learning like a ton of them. I mean, I read Dina Castor's book, I think it's, I want to say, let your mind run. Mm -hmm. And one of the things she said was you have this mental toolbox, and you just shift through them. And one Mm. might last for 10 seconds in a race, not even. And then it's like on to the next one. And trying to just get the most out of yourself using all these strategies that you've learned.
0: It's kind of funny that you mentioned the explorative mindset. And I feel like. In one sense, you have to be open to developing more of these tools, to being exposed to them. The more tools you can put in your toolbox, the the more opportunity you have to to use the right one to solve the problem you're trying to solve, right? But I think this idea of getting fixated on there's one right way, whereas let's see what I can do, I think is how you phrased it before, which is let's see what I have to overcome this. That sort of open-mindedness can help you a lot. Everything you said about your experience and how you thought about sports psychology before and everything, it resonates with me. Because I think I went through a similar journey in terms of a psychologist. Why would I go see a psychologist? That's a sign that I have a problem, right? And yet the reality is I probably did have a problem, but I was not open to even considering that I might have a problem there. I love that you're talking about this because I think it's so important that people continually add these tools to their toolbox and, and mentally is the area where I think it's easy for us to overlook. We have something that works for us. We have a way that we do everything and, and that way works, but that way usually only works at the level you're at. If you want to get to the next level, you're going to have to tweak the way you do things in order to get there. And some people are really good at that and, and some people aren't. And I'd like to know if you could talk through that experience. You had the Rio experience. It didn't go well. What did you really do? Did you make any concrete actions or, well, actually you did the one about getting the sports psychologist, but as far as the way you trained or the, the way you approach things to get to the next level, was there anything else you did?
1: Yeah, I think it was about taking ownership into my training. Whereas before I was just following what my coach told me and I wasn't communicating with him as effectively as it was possible because what I realized after Rio was so one of the things that I struggled with, like I said, with the bike was that in Rio, there was a really steep hill that we went up on the course and we did it eight times and everyone talked about it before the test event and before the Olympics, but there was a downhill on the other side. So the uphill was fine for me, but the downhill really scared me to the point where my brain just revolved around that downhill section. And I'd lost sight of completely what my strengths were. And it was all on that. I can't do this downhill and everything else went out the window. And I think one of the things after Rio is learning to not forget my strengths and especially come race day. I work on my weaknesses every day of training, but come race day, like you can't do anything about those weaknesses. <laughs> like, so you really have to focus on the strengths and in a comparison note. In 2019, two and a half weeks before the grand final in Lausanne, I crashed in the Tokyo test event and I broke my nose I uh, got 20 some stitches in my mouth, ended up with a shattered wheel, impact on my legs and in the hospital. And so I didn't finish the Tokyo test event. And then I had set myself up quite well to win the world championship, but two and a half weeks later, it was only two and a half weeks from Tokyo. And so after Tokyo, I was like, oh my gosh, not only did I not fulfill my one goal of qualifying for the olympics but also i just put in jeopardy claiming a world title which is one of my other biggest goals however in my coach who was like so calm and i don't think he ever put pressure on me about the world championship it was just day by day doing what we could getting back to training most of my injuries were to my face so like (sighs) Training was okay <laughs> for the it's most still rough. part. <laughs> yeah. And I was just like kicking in the pool because my shoulder had a little bit of impact. But we took it day by day so that on the start line, I'm like, okay, if someone doesn't hit me in the nose, I'm fine. But we still had the technical course to do. And rather than be really focused on the fact that I just crashed and losing a little confidence, instead I was like, okay, well, maybe I need to be a little bit more conservative on the technical sections but I'm strong enough to catch up on the flat. And so in that race, which was a really big race for me, I ended up winning the race and claiming the world title. And it was all right after the Tokyo test event. And I think that's, I I say that because that Rio event, like I did not have that mindset at all, where in the grand final, it was overcoming something and probably being able to have my brain be focused on the wrong things. Mm. And instead it was focused on the strengths. And I know that's because of what I've learned over those four years. And I think having a confidence from after Rio where we intentionally put skills into training and would do really race specific bike skills in a parking lot with transitions, I get a lot of confidence from preparation. So the more prepared I am in the sense of knowing exactly what is going to be on the course for the race that I've already practiced somewhere else to a similar degree, that really gives me a lot of confidence going into racing. So pinpointing those things and really acknowledging ways to get from, okay, this is what I do in training to best translate to the race course. I think that made a huge change. And also, I mean, having four more years of experience <laughs> was also super helpful. I think it's accumulation of training skills and experiences.
0: Yeah, I think that's 100%. That has to be true. It's always true that all those races that you did over the course of the years played a part in it. But reading about your crashes and stuff, that's one of those things that I think about triathletes. The, the bike has this uh, level of danger that running rarely has, right? It, it,
2: which is where my
0: background <laughs> is. I, I Want to take that little point to transition and talk a little bit about Tokyo before we close up, because it's coming really soon. And I'd love to know how you're feeling in terms of your preparations for these games, both in terms of the physical workouts and fitness where you're at there, but also, as you said, your mental approach as you get ready to head over to Japan.
1: Yeah, so... The Tokyo road has been a bit rocky Um, (laughs) after 2020, that was hard for everybody. And obviously it's still ongoing, but then when my dad passed away, that was really hard. And I had my two, so I, my dad passed away April 8th and then I had a big race like May 6th. That was the second Olympic qualifier, automatic Olympic qualifier. So I went home for two weeks, didn't really train at all because wasn't a priority for me at that point. And then I had to prepare for the next automatic qualifier, which I decided I'd wanted to do, but I wasn't really emotionally or physically ready. So I underperformed, I guess, in that one. And then again, a few weeks later, and after that, it was up to a discretionary selection. So that's how I was selected for the Olympics, which I'm super thankful that the selection committee had confidence in me because I don't think I realized how much I was struggling from my dad's passing away to trying to race twice and train and do all of the grieving and prepare at the same time. And so it wasn't really until I got to camp after the second race in, in Font Rameau, which is where I just came from. And I was like, as soon as I was there, and it was all out of my hands, I was like, oh, I can breathe and I can train like me. And training has been going super well, which has been like really good just to feel like myself. Yeah. I felt like I could just breathe. And, and then being nominated for, for the Olympics mm. made it <laughs> made it even better. So now going into Tokyo, I'm just really excited that A, I have this opportunity because I know it was a really hard decision for the selection committee with so many amazing USHR athletes. And excited because I do feel ready and I just came off of the altitude campus, like a workout with T- Tommy, my husband, he's the strongest girl on the team. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and he said that he probably couldn't have done like another rep. And I was like, Oh, I think I could have. So that was pretty cool for me. And so it's just been really consistent nice. and I've been really happy and feeling really good about our whole process with, going to altitude camp. I love altitude. I love the mountains. It's just very, like, great place to do really hard work, but also really peaceful. Mm-hmm. And then now we're in Benyoles, which is my place that I would buy a house and tell everybody to go and, <laughs> and yeah. come visit because it's beautiful. Um, and it's just an amazing place. And then we head to Tokyo. So I'm feeling really, really good, even though it's been a little tumultuous at times. But we're almost there.
0: Well, Katie, we are super excited to see how you do. And I'm sure a lot of listeners are going to want to be able to follow along with your journey. Is there any place they should go to to keep tabs on how you're doing and get updates from you?
1: Yeah, so you can follow me on Instagram at... at well, oh, I have the worst name ever for anything, but at Zafiris six. So um, <laughs> my last name is Z-A-F-E-R-E-S, which is also a really bad name for like when you have to spell out to anybody on the phone, you're like Zia Zoo. <laughs> 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 um, but you can follow me on Instagram or my Facebook. I have a Facebook triathlete, Katie Zafiris triathlete page. So those are my main sources.
0: Absolutely. We, we will follow you. We'll put that in the show notes. So hopefully people are just, it'll just be a click away for people as opposed to having to type it all in. And uh, Katie, I'll leave it to John for the last words, but honestly, it's been great talking to you. I love the term explorative mindset and some of the, the stuff you talked about in terms of ownership. It's stuff I believe in so strongly. And I, I really think it's really important for our listeners who are trying to get the most out of their training to appreciate those ideas. And so I, I feel very fortunate that we got to have this conversation. Thank you.
1: Yeah,
2: thanks for waking up early for me. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. no problem. <laughs> yeah, I think I got the, the easy end of the bargain here in terms of the time zones. So <laughs> thank you both. Katie, we are just so uh, grateful for your time. We're cheering for you. You're going to do fantastic. The committee made a great selection. No doubt wow. about it. Go out there and kick some butt. And thank you again. I just can't, can't thank you enough for your time because I know it's late and stuff like that. So keep going, do your thing, and, and we'll be cheering for you.
1: Oh, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure talking to you
2: both. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Fueling the Pursuit, presented by UCAN. For both athletes and active people, controlling blood sugar is the key to optimizing focus, performance, and recovery. Thankfully, UCAN has developed a patented ingredient to deliver long-lasting energy while stabilizing blood sugar levels. So to properly fuel your pursuit, both with the right nutrition and with the right food for thought, make sure to visit ucan.co forward slash podcast to subscribe to our podcast show, to see our current lineup of upcoming guests, and of course, to learn more about UCAN's amazing products.